Today's reading is from John 3, 14 to 21. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We continue our series on grace overflowing, and I want to begin by by uh, sharing with you a billboard that I saw in another city. I was uh, away for a conference, and uh, this is what the billboard said, and I want, I want you to try to guess what they were advertising, okay? Here, here it is. Life, get more than you were looking for. I'll say it again. Life, colon, right? Get more than you are looking for. What do you think they were advertising? You guys know. You've been here. <laughs> I, I've heard all sorts of guesses from new cars to uh, financial investments uh, to banks uh, to, uh, to uh, grocery stores, all sorts of answers. But it was a casino, okay? <laughs> yeah. Get more than you are looking for at the casino. Then the, and the uh, insinuation is that if you just gamble, <laughs> you're going to get a lot more. And your life is going to be full if you can just have more money, right? Well, the world has lots of different answers for us as to how we can have life. And uh, uh, you think about what is the bottom line for you? What would a real and meaningful life look like for you? What's the end result of life for you? The bottom line. And God has one word to kind of summarize all that he would have for you as the bottom line. And that indeed is that one little word, four letters, life. Life. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, that's why I came. He says, I have come that they may have life. Life in all of its fullness. Well, friends, uh, today our Gospel reading is in John chapter 3. And that is one of the great life chapters of the Bible. The context is where Jesus is speaking with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Pharisees, we know, prided themselves in their religiosity. They followed the letter of the law to its purity. They were conscientious in their relationship with God and the way they care for it. They, they had it all together, the Pharisees. And this one, Nicodemus, was very wealthy, and so he had it all together kind of like people who live on the north side of Indianapolis, right? We just have it all together. 
one of the great, I, I ran into someone at this conference and they said, we just saw where you, Carmel and Fishers, you're, you've got all the best places to live in the United States. You just must live in heaven up there, right? Well, Nicodemus didn't have it all together. And he realized that there was something wrong in his life. And so it says, secretly at night, he comes to see this Jesus that he had heard about, this rabbi. And Jesus says something very unique to Nicodemus. He says, yeah, there's something missing in your life. You were born once, but you know, you need to be reborn. You need to come to life a second time. And not by what you can do, but this would only come by the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus is so confused. He says, how can I go into my mother's womb and be reborn a second time? Are you kidding? And then Jesus starts to explain it. And he uses the example of the Israelites in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, where they had disobeyed God. They had complained against God so much that finally God had had enough and he sent poisonous snakes to bite them. And the people were dying off, and they pleaded with God, please save us, help us. And so God told Moses to put an image of a, of a bronze snake and lift it up on a, on a pole. And when people looked in faith upon God's provision for their healing, they were, indeed, they were healed. And Jesus says, in the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross so that everyone who believes in him will have life. And then comes John 3:16, perhaps it's the most famous verse in all the Bible. You probably learned it somewhere along the line and uh, you know there's there's different versions of this, but uh, let me just say it's 24 words. Martin Luther called it the little Bible. It's been called the gospel in a nutshell. It's been said that if Satan could blot out one verse in all the Bible, it would be John 3.16. I had a seminary professor who said, he said, pastors, we're getting ready to, to go out into the, the ministry. They said, this John 3.16 is a passage you should preach on at least once a year. So this is your once a year, okay? <laughs> John 3.16, let's, let's say it together. You can look at the words there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That one verse is powerful. In fact, one time I had a family call me. They had a loved one. It was a distant relative who was dying in the hospital. And they weren't sure that this person knew the Lord. And so they said, Pastor, sick him, right? Go get him, all right? You go to the hospital and you call on him. I mean, that's the way a lot of people are. They're, they don't want to share. They can't talk about that themselves, but they want their pastor to do it. And so I went over there, and sure enough, this person was in ICU, and the doctor was coming out of the room, and the doctor said, it doesn't look good, Pastor. Uh, please only take one minute, one minute to talk to Uncle Bill, okay? And so what would I share? What would you share if you only had one minute? This is the passage that I shared with him. And then I turned to Uncle Bill. That wasn't his name. I forgot his name. But I asked him, Uncle Bill, what do you think? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he loves you so much that he gave you Jesus to be your Savior? Do you believe that Jesus took your sins upon himself on the cross and he rose again? And it, do you believe that through him your sins are forgiven and you have life everlasting? And Bill couldn't talk. He had a ventilator, but he nodded his head. 
And so we prayed. I asked him if he had been baptized. He said no. And he was baptized right there on the spot. Almost just like the thief in the cro- on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. This one verse has meant so much because the bottom line is life. And what, this is what God wants for you. This is the fullness of life that God would have for you. It's life in union with Him and a relationship with Him that then spills out into a relationship with other people. Life. And you know, so many Christians, we talk about everlasting life, eternal life. And we always think, yeah, that's way off in the future. And it's true. Everlasting life is the prize. It's the finish line, isn't it? It's what we strive for. But the life that God gives to you isn't just when you die. It's right now. God has in store for you a life in union with Him that assures you of who you are as God's child. It assures you that you're not wandering aimlessly through life without a purpose, but that God loves you and that He's going to work things out for you in your life. We're going to hear from Tori in just a little bit. I love your banner. I can do all things through Christ. That's the assurance that you have when you know Jesus Christ and the life that he brings to you. That's what it's all about. And you say, well, why did God do this for me? Why does God make this spectacular offer to you? The answer is love. God so loved the world. And you know, when you talk about the qualities of God, maybe you remember some of this stuff. You talk about the omniscience of God, how He is all-knowing. You talk about how God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is present everywhere, and yet everywhere at the same time. God is eternal. He never had a beginning. He never will have an end. But the one quality of God that is so amazing, God is love, the Bible says. That's his very character. That, that's who God is. God is love. And because of that love, God knows you. He knows what you've done wrong. He knows the sins that you've committed. He knows your shortcomings. He knows that you can't earn the love, but it's a free gift that God gives to you. God so loved the world that he gave. That's what God has done for you. And the scope of that love is amazing. God so loved the world. And the Greek word for for world is cosmos. A definition of that would be every single person that has ever been born in the past, everyone that is alive today, and everyone that will be alive in the future. God so loved the cosmos. And that includes everyone, doesn't it? You remember back to February the 5th, 2012. Do you know what happened on that day? It was a fairly significant day for us in central Indiana. That's when Super Bowl 46 happened here in Indianapolis. And what made it significant for Carmel Lutheran Church is there was a... a, a a radical kind of small group of Christians that targeted Carmel Lutheran Church of all the churches in the Indianapolis area to picket that day, okay, and to protest. And, uh, you know, there were a few protesters that showed up and there were TV cameras and things like that. There were actually more anti-protesters than protesters. And it turned out to be a rather non-event, thank God, right? 
But as they prepared for protesting against us, they looked at our teachings and they tried to find things to criticize us about. And the only thing they could come up with was the fact that we believe that God loves all people. And we put that into practice at this church. We have groups that minister to alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous. How can you love them? We have groups that, that, that minister to and support people who are divorced or going through a divorce. We support their children. We have, we have people in this congregation that minister to, 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 to people, especially from other countries, Asians specifically, to teach them English as a second language, and they don't even know about Jesus at all. And yet, you minister to them. How can you do that? That's the only thing they could find wrong about our ministry. And yet when we see this, God so loved the world, the cosmos. And that breaks down the barriers, doesn't it? There's no room for, for, for all the, the, the divisions that we have now in our culture. When you think about who God loves, he loves everybody. He includes everybody in the invitation. The what is life. Okay? Why? Because he loved the world. But how do I get that in my heart and in my life? This passage answers that too. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Finally, the assurance of life with God is not a matter of jumping through certain hoops. It's not a matter of, of how much you give in the offering plate. It's not a matter of, of how well you know the pastor or anything else that happens. It's all about belief, believing in Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, that's a word that we throw out all the time. But let me tell you that belief, true belief, faith that leads to salvation is more than an intellectual assent. It's more than just knowing about God. And you can, you can spout off Bible passages. You can go through Sunday school and confirmation and adult Bible classes. It's not about how much you know. I like to think of true faith as embracing four things. First of all, to have saving faith, you have to look at yourself. And when you look within yourself, what do you see? There's a lot of good things about you. But in order to be accepted by God... The Bible says that you would have to be better than pretty good. How good would you have to be? Perfect. In Leviticus, the Lord says, you shall be holy, even as I, the Lord, your God, am holy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeats that in Matthew. He says, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Raise your hand if we've got any perfect people here. All right, there's one right there. When we look into the mirror of God's law, we realize that we have all sinned, that we've all fallen short of what God expects of us. And it's not only what we do wrong, but it's the things that we should be doing that we're not doing right. And it's not only the sins that we do, but it's the sin that even we're born with, the original sin that we inherit from our parents. And the first part of faith is realizing I need a Savior. That Jesus, I am sorry for my sins and I need you to come into my life. The second aspect of faith is where do you look for your help? 
So many people think that they believe in self-help. It's the way the world works, that, that, that it's all about me. It's all about what I can do. But when it comes to your relationship with God, it's not about you. And so we look to God. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who made you. He's the only one who can help you. And so we look to God for the solution. And what did God do out of his love? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Yes, we look, we recognize our sin, we look to God for help, and then we accept God's solution to our sinfulness. And that is the person and the work of Jesus, his son. True God and true man, he was able to do what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life, something we can't do. And then when he was about 33 years old, he took all the imperfections of the cosmos, of all the world, upon himself. And he suffered the punishment, the separation that happens as a result of sin. And he took it upon himself, and there on the cross, he suffered the penalty for sin, death and damnation. And he didn't do it because he did anything wrong. He did it for us. And what happens is the Holy Spirit works. We we say in the explanation of the third article, the Holy Spirit has enlightened me by the gospel. That means he turns on the light of faith when you hear about Jesus, when you know how much God loves you. That's the Holy Spirit at work that turns the light of faith on in your heart and in your life so that you can accept the assurance of salvation in Jesus. You know, I like to think of faith as, as like the hands of faith. You've all got hands. Where'd you get your hands? God gave you the hands. And God gives you faith too that you can hold on to, that you can accept, that you can grasp the truth of the gospel of God's undeserved love for you in Jesus. So you recognize your sins, you look to God, you accept what God has done for you, and finally, you trust Him. And I like to think of that, of hanging on to the promises of God, holding on, and with the strength that God gives you, not that you conjure it by yourself, you hold on to God's promises so that you know that there is nothing that can ever separate you from Him. That no matter what you are going through as a child of God, that somehow God's going to work it out for you and that you can trust him, and that you're not wandering aimlessly through life, but God's got a plan of hope, a promise for you, that nothing that this world can offer to you. One time there was a big party, a big to-do thing in London, England, and all the important people of London were invited there, but one person on the list of the invitees was a prominent Christian pastor. And there at that socialite event, they had a piano player who was up and coming. Her name was Charlotte Elliott. And Miss Elliott was fantastic. She, was, she oohed and awed the, the crowd, and everyone was just so pleased with Miss Elliott and her performance. After the event, this Christian pastor came up to Charlotte Elliott and said, Miss Elliott, that was, I just want you to know that that's some of the best piano that I've ever heard in my life. I thank God for you. And you know, since Jesus is your Savior, since he died and rose for you, I know that you're going to want to use your gift of playing piano for him. And so I invite you to come and play at my church, and I hope that you'll accept that invitation. 
Charlotte Elliott stood up straight and pointed right at the pastor and said, how dare you? How dare you talk to me that way about my spiritual life? How dare you? And by the way, I would never, I would never go to your church and play the piano. Well, the pastor apologized. He was sorry that he had talked to her, and he walked away quietly. But that night, Miss Elliot went home, and when she went to bed, she tossed and she turned. It really bothered her what, he, what she said, not only that she refused that pastor's invitation, but what really bothered her was the way she talked about God and his love, that she rejected Jesus as the Savior. And she kept tossing and turning, and word has it at about 2 a.m. that night, she finally got up out of bed, and she grabbed a pad of, of paper and a pencil, and she wrote these words of a now famous hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. The Holy Spirit worked in Charlotte Elliott's heart. The Holy Spirit worked in a man named Nicodemus who thought he had it all together. He was wealthy. He followed all the religious rules. He did everything that he was supposed to do. There was something missing in Charlotte Elliott's life. There was something missing in Nicodemus's life. And friend, maybe there's something missing in your life. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you have a good grasp of Scripture. Maybe you try to do everything that you're supposed to do, but there's something missing. You're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has for you. And so, friend, what do we do? Along with Nicodemus and all those Christians who have gone before us, we recognize that we need a Savior. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. We realize that our help comes from the Lord, not from ourselves. We accept the promises of God in Jesus Christ, that he died and rose for you and for me, and that through the gospel, the, the lights of faith are turned on so that we can hold on to him, we can trust him for anything that comes our way. Friend, that assurance is yours. And as you come to communion today, this is our Lutheran altar call, right? You trust in Jesus and you take him into your life once again. Thank God for the life that you have. The life that is more than you ever looked for before. More than anything else than, than this world can offer. But is given to you freely and fully in Jesus, your Savior. May God make that happen. Amen.